Merry Christmas, everyone, as we are thinking about Christmas. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 1 to 19, uh, and I won't keep you too long because I know the rugby's starting. Um, indeed. Johnny kicked off last week with a few football puns, so I thought I'd do a rugby one. Uh, what do you call Luke, Leia, Chewie, and Han and the rest of the rebellion at the start of a rugby match? Rebel, rebel scrum. Yeah. Anyway, Acts chapter 3. <laughs> Maybe this won't be a tradition that we keep going of puns in the beginning of sermons. Acts chapter 3, 1 to 19. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus. Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, even though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know who was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And if you're taking notes, the title I'd like to give this is The Kingdom Has Come and the Kingdom is Coming. And at the 6 p.m., we are currently working our way through Acts, which is the first book to follow on from the Gospels, which are the accounts of Jesus' life. And Acts is a historical account uh, written by one of those Gospel writers, Luke. And it's known as Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of Jesus, as Ant was talking about, working through the Apostles by his Holy Spirit. And since we started, uh, we've made through the first two chapters in four months, which is good progress. Uh, <laughs> through Jesus' ascension into heaven, and then the Apostles go and wait in Jerusalem. And then Helen preached a lovely sermon about Judas' guts, uh, which, thank you for taking that one on. <laughs> I'm glad that was not me. Uh, 
And then Pentecost happened where the Holy Spirit came and all the apostles were filled and Peter preaches this absolute worldly of a sermon and 3,000 people come to faith. And then Johnny last week spoke about the devotion of the apostles to teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And so chapter 3 is where we pick up the story today. And in order to explain what's going on, I want to try and answer three questions and then hopefully we can pray together afterwards. And the first question is, what is the kingdom of God? And as we read through the Gospels and Acts, we hear this phrase, the kingdom of God, a lot. And I quickly want to touch on what Ant spoke about a few weeks ago. If you haven't listened to it, please, it's much better than this summary. Um, But many believed in first century Israel that the Messiah was going to come. This was not a new word to them. Um, It was a long-awaited promise of God, of a coming Savior, And many believed that the Messiah would be from David's line, the line of Judah, and would be a conquering king who would free them from the oppression of the Romans. What Jesus did was so much more than this. He didn't come to free them from the oppression of the Romans. He came to free them from the oppression of sin, sin and death. Their people had dismissed everything that Jesus was about. And in this passage, we read the first documented healing since Jesus' ascension. And it's this beautiful story of a man who's set outside of the temple. He's carried there every day. A place where you would hope to find life and blessing. And he's there begging for his life. And Peter and John come along and he simply asks them for money. But then we witness Peter and John just give him so much more. They give him his freedom. They give him his dignity. However, even after Peter and John had healed the man, then the people could see with their own eyes someone they'd walked past every day. This man was known to them. They were still so confused about what was happening. And Peter says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if about our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his his servant Jesus. He's saying to them, look, Jesus was and still is the culmination of God's plan over the history of the earth, right from Adam through to Moses and the prophets right up to the present day. Jesus is the Messiah you are waiting for. And the kingdom is so much bigger than anything you've ever hoped or imagined. The death and resurrection of Jesus changed everything. Through it, Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God here on earth. The kingdom of God is his rule and his reign over heaven and earth. It's all things being restored and made right in his death and resurrection. The kingdom brings freedom where there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. The Israelites were hoping for someone to restore the kingdom of Israel to free them from oppression of of the Romans, but Jesus came to free them from sin and death. And one day there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth where we will get to rule and reign as co-heirs with Christ. Jesus' death and his resurrection establishes the kingdom of God here on earth. And we have received power through the Holy Spirit to bring something of heaven down to earth. The lame man received, the lame man's healing is the miraculous transformation of something that's dead to something that's alive. And so as we pray, we're asking for God to move by his spirit to restore something that was dead and to give, bring it life. And we can rejoice in those times that a glimpse and a foretaste of what's to come. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says we should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. But signs and wonders for the sake of signs and wonders are really not what it's all about. 
Peter says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? Everything that happens by the Spirit must point us to Jesus. We should pray with great faith for healing in this church, and we should continue to preach the gospel and trust that people will be saved. Why? To point us to Jesus. The culmination of all God has been doing since creation and to the king who has come to establish his kingdom here. So if the kingdom of God, so if that's what the kingdom of God is, the next question is, well, who is it for? I don't think it's an accident that Luke makes the point of specifically saying where the lame man, lame man was sitting. He could have said, there was a lame man in the temple and we healed him. But instead, he makes the point of saying he was at the gate. This story is so much more than a nice way of saying that the church's mission is beyond its four walls. It's a beautiful picture of God's design for the kingdom of God. And to see this, why don't you turn with me into Matthew chapter 5. At this stage in Jesus' life, he's just been baptized by John the Baptist, and he's kicking off his ministry with the phrase, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right from the get-go, Jesus is very clear that his mission is to usher in the kingdom of God, to restore God's original design. Matthew then goes through a bunch and bunches together a few of Jesus' teachings into a section called the Sermon on the Mount, and as part of that, Jesus teaches on the Beatitudes, which is translated blessings. So we read from verse 5. Sorry, chapter 5, verse 2. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's a wild list, but Jesus is setting out who he's come for and who the kingdom is for. I think one mistake we can make is to view all of these as virtues, and some of them are, but not all of them, and none of them are requirements to enter God's kingdom. Instead, they're a means of grace for us, just as we are. Sometimes we can translate these as postures or things we need to do. For example, we should view ourselves as spiritually poor by ourselves and dependent on God for all things, which is great. Or when he says, blessed are those who mourn, he means mourning our sin. Or those who hunger and thirst for righteousness to mean we should desire righteousness in our world. And these are all brilliant things. I'm not saying they're wrong. But sometimes maybe Jesus is just saying, hey, if you're just feeling so lost in your faith, blessed are you. For yours is the kingdom of God. Or maybe if you're just simply mourning, maybe the loss of a relative or a relationship, blessed are you, for you will be comforted. Or as John Mark Comer translates, hungering and thirsting for righteousness means that when we feel so knocked down that nothing seems to be going right, no matter how desperate we are for things to change, we feel stuck at the bottom of the pit. Jesus says, blessed are you, for you will be filled. 
That's exactly who the lame beggar was. He had nothing. He was dependent on people to carry him to the temple so that he could beg for money to survive. He's not your typical candidate for a kingdom that a Messiah would come to set up and establish. But he was to Jesus. I wonder how you're feeling this evening. Maybe you feel like that man. Maybe you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for something to change within you. Maybe you're mourning. Maybe you're feeling powerless or completely confused in your faith. All the lame beggar did was show up, and Jesus transformed him through Peter and John. He gave him a hope and a future. He miraculously healed him, and all he did was show up. What are you in need of this evening? It's interesting how the lame man asked for money, yet Peter and John gave him something so much better. Jesus wants to give us more than we could ever hope or imagine. And he isn't scared of our questions either. He's ready to welcome you in with open arms to a kingdom where there's no more pain, no more suffering, where one day all things will be restored and will reign with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. And until that day, we get to partner with the Holy Spirit to bring a touch of heaven to earth. We'll pray with great faith. We'll preach the gospel. We'll trust God to work in miraculous ways. Why? To point people to Jesus, the King. Maybe you're sitting there like me this week as I was preparing, and you're reading and hearing all of this and thinking, well, that's great, but actually my life is really hard right now. I'm showing up and I'm asking God to do the miraculous and I'm trusting for more than I could ever hope or imagine and it feels like it's just falling on deaf ears. And so to finish, I just want to spend a few moments answering the question, well, where is the kingdom of God? It's a question I'm sure we've all asked at some point. If it's God's desire for all things to be restored, for me, why was I born with only half a heart? Why do I go through life struggling knowing I can't be cured and no matter how much I pray, I don't get healed? Part of the tension of living by faith is processing what theologians call the now and the not yet. The kingdom of God is a present reality and it's a future hope. Jesus' death and resurrection ushered in the kingdom of God, but we will not experience the full reality of the kingdom of God until Jesus returns and all things are restored. In our lifetimes, we'll have moments of overwhelming joy where we will see God move by his spirit. When we've been praying for, with great faith for someone to come to faith, when God miraculously heals or provides and we experience the present reality of the kingdom. And we'll also have moments of crushing disappointment of the not yet. As I was preparing, I listened to a sermon by Artie Kendall on this passage. And he asked the question, have you ever wondered why Jesus never healed the man? The man had been there every day for 40 years. How many times must Jesus have walked past him? In John 2, we read of Jesus going up to Jerusalem and cleansing the temple. Later on in that chapter, we read that many people saw the signs and wonders that he was performing at the temple. A few chapters later in John 5, we read about Jesus' healing of an invalid who had been hoping to be healed at the pool, which was only a stone's throw away from this man. In John 10, we read about Jesus discussing with the Jews in Solomon's colonnade in the temple about whether he was the Messiah or not. And more recently, I wonder how much the lame man heard about Jesus' death and resurrection. He must have. Can you imagine how that man must have felt hearing of all the miracles that were happening around him? 
hearing the whispers, the gossips of people saying, maybe he's the Messiah. Hearing of another, another lame person being healed literally down the road from you. Maybe even Jesus walking by you. I wonder if that sounds familiar. God isn't distant in our suffering. He is present. He is more than present. He understands from his own lived experience. In Mark 14, we read Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus wrestled with our answered prayer. He says, all things are possible for you. He knows the tension that we live in of an all-powerful God and a fallen world. It's like having a doctor who's treating you for an illness, but they also have that illness. There's a level of compassion and empathy that comes. The reality is that we still live on this earth, and there's sickness, and there's sorrow, and there's tough times, and these things are a present reality for all of us. The mystery of unanswered prayer is something that does deserves far more than a five-minute whistle-stop tour. Um, but if you want to read, I highly recommend being an influencer. Got on mute by Pete Gregg. It's brilliant. Uh, it groups together all the reasons for unanswered prayer into three categories. God's world, God's will, and God's war. All things from spiritual warfare to our motives, God wanting something that's even better, or maybe just him leading us into trust and dependence on him. Unanswered prayer is not a sign of a, or of a lack of faith or weakness. It is an invitation into a deeper relationship with Jesus amidst the tension of the now and the not yet. We don't have all the answers, but we do have a faithful, faithful God whose kindness and goodness can never be questioned. And one day all of our prayers will be answered. Jesus will return and everything will be made new. All diseases will be healed, death will be a distant memory, anxiety and fear will not compute in our brains. Every tear that we've shed on this earth, every prayer that we've prayed from the loud, from the faith-filled ones to the quiet, desperate murmurings in the night will be made whole as the king is united with his bride and will rule and reign with him forever. In Revelation 5, we read John's vision of the end times. It says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into the, all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which were the prayers of God's people. God collects our prayers. Skipping forward a few pages to Revelation 8, we read of these bowls again. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came pearls of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. The redemption of the earth comes through the pouring out of the prayers of God's people stored up. No prayer is wasted in the kingdom. We may not understand why prayers go unanswered here on earth, 
but we know that through Jesus, all things will be restored, and it starts with our prayers poured out. Every prayer will be answered, and that everything will be made new in the end. And until that day, we can trust that God is faithful. He's watching over us. He is with us, and his love will never fail. For me, living with a heart condition and wrestling with God in this, I can testify that even though I've never been healed, God has been so good. Through the trials, Jesus has drawn me into a deeper level of trust and dependence on him. And I'll have all eternity to live completely healed and free. But I have an opportunity now to grow in my dependence and trust on him through my weakness. Often we hate the unknown, we hate the questions, we hate the anxious thoughts, the unconfirmed desires. We want to know the whys, the hows, the whens. We want to see purpose in the pain without experiencing the pain. We want to jump to the other side without stepping on the stones. I wonder if we knew the hows and the whys and the whens that we wouldn't need to trust. We wouldn't need to lean so far into our Father's great love. We wouldn't need to depend so greatly on his perfect plan. And maybe that's the point. Why don't we stand? Johnny, would you? And as we finish, I just want to read and pray through one of the most famous psalms over you. It's a promise of things to come and God's faithfulness until that day. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to bring to mind things that are struggles for you at the moment. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The valley is temporary. We walk through the valley. And through that valley, we can be sure of the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of God all the days of our lives. And whether that valley ends here on this earth or in the new earth, we can be assured that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so we're going to worship, but I just want to give the opportunity if you want to receive prayer this evening. Maybe you're trusting for the miraculous in your life. And you're asking just for a glimpse of heaven, a foretaste of what's to come. Maybe you feel like you don't belong in the kingdom. You're not good enough. Jesus has come for you. He says, blessed are you for the kingdom is yours. Maybe you're struggling with the not yet of the kingdom. I'd just love to pray that you would encounter Jesus and his love this evening. That you know that he's not forgotten, but he's drawing you to himself. So if you any of those of you, I'd love to invite you forward. There's nothing special about the front. It's just a 
place to say, Lord, here I am, and just for people to come and stand with you in whatever area it is. If not, we're just going to worship and trust that God will move.